1: Well, hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer and as always I'm joined by my faithful colleague, Paul Rickard. How are you, Paul? I'm great, Peter. We've got a fantastic program today from
2: all things through. from We're going to talk about the virus, we're going to talk about stimulus package, we're going to talk about uh, judge... Judy, we're going to talk about cricket.
1: Yes, huh? with the legend himself, Jim Maxwell, who's also, I think, a legendary investor as well. He might not say that, but given the fact he's invested in, in the Switz Fund, I think he's a legend for well, doing no, that. Well,
2: know he comes to our conferences, Peter, so yeah. I'm, I'm really um, yeah. he likes keen to it. understand just how Jim plays the, the market. because yeah. I, I get a sense Jim's a bit conservative.
1: Yeah, he's conservative, but, but we might find he's not. Because yeah. I mean, might...
2: he... He's a conservative cricket commentator, I think. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think he's always been really well measured. He's not well a... Well sens- That's yeah. a much better word than conservative. He's not a sensationalist. Yeah. He. Uh, I think he is a great cricket uh, commentator. And I remember when he was young. And when he was young, uh, I guess he wasn't great then because you're young. Like I wasn't great... When I was young, I'm probably still not great, even though I'm older. But oh, I think, uh, Peter,
2: I'm, I'm nodding my head over he here. Said, grimace, you said am with you I'm working really hard not
1: to nod. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I think you know Jim has grown the stature, and he, of course he, he hung out with one of the best in Alan McGilvray as a young man. Uh, it's been great to catch up with Jim, but I think the, the big issue still remains the coronavirus, mm. and we've got Craig Emerson. Craig is a former... Labor minister, but also a former economist or is, is an economist, and um, I'd be interested to see whether he thinks the government's on the money. Will he be able to disassociate himself from his Labor origins and just look at this objectively? It'd be an interesting test for Craig uh,
2: He, of course, was, was part of Kevin's team, right? Oh, yeah. yeah and no. uh, they got so badly criticised by the coalition when, uh, in the years subsequent to the GFC for mm. throwing the kitchen sink at... Uh, the GFC. A, a GFC and they were right, by the way. Uh, well, they were sort of right, but, no, no they were definitely right. But they did. But we did have school halls. We had cash for clunkers. We yeah. had. Uh, well, well, the, the well, pink oh, we had, bats we had, we had was the, was the bats. only. That's <laughs> the one, but that
1: was. But the idea was okay. The execution was hopeless.
2: It, it wasn't just pink yeah. bats. It yeah. was cash for clunkers. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. yeah? <laughs> you remember there school, were some crazy. And ones. we had school halls. That, we were having an electronic revolution yeah, called yeah. the internet, mm-hmm. and we we're building school halls and school libraries of all things, right? Yeah. Anyhow, but. Uh, now, uh,
1: the Morrison government's throwing the kitchen sink at it, so I guess... Um, yeah, it would be interesting to see how he assesses it. How anyway, assess- yeah. and then we've got Jim Maxwell following Craig, and we have, as I've said, we're going to talk to Jim about cricket, as well as investing, and then my sister, Kay Switzer, comes on the program. This we- is a family podcast now, is yeah. it? It's a family podcast. Yeah, this is Peter, Paul, and Kay. Is that yeah, the work? A, yeah. <laughs> P- Peter P- PPK. <laughs> so that sounds like a, a private equity group, but look... Basically, my sister lives and works in Hollywood and L.A. is in lockdown big time. And we want to see what it's like, A, what it's like living in a lockdown situation. Is she seeing any signs that you know, things are getting better? And and I guess L.A.'s assessment of Donald Trump's performance is going to be very interesting as well. And we also talk about Kay's brush with one Judge Judy, which is a pretty interesting story. Mm. And her brush with fame with one piece, which oh, is... Yeah. That was a long brushing, because she she was the older sister, she was the bully, and I was the the poor little innocent that was picked on by my bully sister. But that's another story for another occasion. Without any further ado, let's go and welcome Craig Emerson, and uh, we'll ask him about the coronavirus and the government's policies. Craig, thanks for joining us.
3: Uh, My pleasure. Thanks, Peter.
1: Now, Craig, you know... uh, People out there might think, well, he's a former Labor politician. How is he going to be uh, objective about um, the government's policies so far? But when you think about it, these guys have learned a lot from what you guys had to do during the GFC.
3: Well, that's right. I mean, uh, the global financial crisis was an extraordinary event. Uh, So is this, uh, but they've got different origins. Um, Global financial crisis was, uh, you know, related to people selling Uh, packages of mortgages essentially where a lot of the people were likely to default on those mortgages that's back in the US if anyone's uh, seen the movie The Big Short it's a pretty good explanation of Mm. that Mm. whereas this one's a health-driven crisis a pandemic um, as this uh, coronavirus has spread right around the world and so they're both big but this is no doubt bigger and more complex because you've got to get on top of the virus rather than just get on top of the economic questions.
1: Mm. Now, uh, people wouldn't know this, but in your very younger days... Um, well you've That's still, a while ago. Yeah, you've still got a lot of <laughs> hair. I was going to say when you didn't have hair, but you've, you've still got a lot of hair, but you, you were an economic advisor to Bob Hawke, was that right?
3: That's right. Yeah? Yep, that's right. And yeah.
1: in those days, working for the, with the Prime Minister... Did you ever think about a pandemic having that this kind of implication for an economy? No,
3: not at all. In fact, uh, that would have all predated even I think SARS and you know the other viruses that have um, uh, uh, afflicted the world since then. Mm. Um, the AIDS crisis was uh, just occurring, mm. so there was a sense that you know there, there was. Uh, potential for uh, big destruction, you know, uh, of people's lives and and indeed their death uh, associated with that. And you might have seen Bill Botell has had a lot to say about this um, coronavirus. He actually brought together the AIDS advertising campaign, which was very shocking in uh, the way it presented uh, you know, the risks mm. of spreading AIDS, the Grim Reaper ads yeah. people talk about. That was Simon uh, Reynolds, it wasn't
1: it? Simon Reynolds. It was a bit yeah, hard. no, yeah.
3: It, it worked. I mean, there was criticism at the time that, um, well, hold on, AIDS is, uh, can be transmitted amongst. Um, uh, gay couples but as the transmission from you know heterosexuals is very limited and all that. well this just kind of took no prisoners. it just said everyone's at risk and the purpose of that was to get people really to focus on their behavior and um, you know it, it was a successful uh, ca- advertising campaign it does remind me you know of the need for these sorts of campaigns mm-hmm. um, in a pandemic or an epidemic like that, because uh, you really can't pull your punches and say, well, it's not too bad because then people behave that way. Yeah. And we probably saw a little bit of that early on uh, in the coronavirus. You Take that Bondi Beach behaviour, mm. for example, um, even people coming back to Australia um, from overseas Kicking boxes and walking through airports, uh, jumping into cabs or onto mm. domestic flights and bringing the virus in that way.
1: It'll never happen again, will it? I think
3: that that's right, Tom. You know, uh, uh, sorry, Peter, we don't know what could come next, but there's a lot of lessons that have been uh, learned from this one.
1: Okay, let's focus on the economics, and, and Craig, you know I always love to be optimistic if I can, but... To me, in being an economist as well, trying to work out what's going to happen relies on stuff that people like you and I aren't trained to be good at, namely the virus data. Is that going to be the critical factor for both economic growth going forward and the stock market?
3: Uh, yes, I think so, because um, when you think about this, uh, so the virus has hit, the virus has been spreading, the virus is still spreading at what point does a national government confidently say, let's open everything up again or even open up things in stages, you know? know, We don't have a vaccine. The likelihood of a vaccine in the next six months is very low. Um, And because of that, it's it's like, what a difficult decision. You know the economy is struggling. You know people are out of work. You know that businesses are being destroyed. But if you say, look let's just see how we go and we'll allow the pubs to reopen the restaurants and the, you know, and all of that sort of stuff, and then the virus takes off again. That's a catastrophe mm. um, you know, for, for the people of Australia and politically. So I, I imagine, uh, to use an economic term, there'll be a bit of risk aversion here in the decision-making processes. You'd really need to feel that you're on top of this and you have contained the spread, and it wouldn't
1: start again yep i remember during the gsc um um my my friends and colleagues in the uh the coalition didn't like what you guys were doing um effectively taking on keynesian policies to save us from recession and uh, i i disagreed with the coalition i thought you guys were absolutely absolutely on the money and you successfully avoided um uh, unemployment going over six percent that was a a great strategy, I, I think, at the time, and, and we're not always Keynesians. But I think when you get these kind of threats of either recession or depression, you've got to be a Keynesian. What do you think the, the Morrison government? You think they've got the right strategy with the packages you've seen so far?
3: I think so. Yes, and and there's been a bit of a conversion there, and that's a welcome one. As you say, uh, Peter, you don't want to be Keynesians every day of uh, the year mm-hmm. and every year of the century. Uh, in fact. Uh, John Maynard Keynes made his name during the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. So he was living and um, prescribing uh, economic policies in the context of the Great Depression. Um, You don't actually ordinarily adopt those policies when growth is strong, Uh, but uh, it wasn't strong during the global financial crisis and it's certainly not strong now. In fact, it's negative and everyone accepts that. Um, So economics really should be for the times rather than just have one rule for all circumstances. No one does that in the medical profession. No one does it in the legal profession. No one does it in the scientific profession. Why would you do it in the economics profession? Mm.
1: You know, uh, going back to 2008, I remember uh, probably was February of 2008, and you, you might remember this, this time as well because, I was writing for The Australian at the time, and the Reserve Bank actually raised interest rates in, I think, February or March of 2008. And I asked the question, why would you be doing that? Because the, the first leg of the stock market fall happened in November of 2007. And I remember Philippa Malgram from the Canterbury Group was in Australia for Deutsche Bank, and I asked her a question at a luncheon, do you think our Reserve Bank has made a mistake raising interest rates now? And she looked at me and she said, your bank's going to have to turn on the dime. But they didn't actually cut rates, and they were the first Reserve Bank or Central Bank in the world to cut rates in September. During that time, did you think that the Central Bank um, kind of waited too long? And I asked that question in, in the context that I'm wrapped that Central Banks and governments have responded the quickest mm. I've ever seen them respond in my yeah. entire lo- looking at economics.
3: Yeah, well, I think probably your analysis is right. I will, I will remember um, during the uh, 19 a uh, 2007 election, uh, the Reserve Bank actually raised interest rates I during did. the election campaign. Mm-hmm. John Howard was furious with them. <laughs> um, I'll actually claim a little bit of um, uh, ownership of that decision because uh, I've been exiled to the backbench after having voted for Mark Latham for leader. Um, so and But on the backbench, I was able to be the deputy uh, chair of the House of Representatives Economics Committee. And I asked Glenn Stevens uh, this question, if the economic circumstances and numbers warranted an increase by the Reserve Bank in interest rates, During an election campaign, would you do it? And he said, "Well, of course, we have a responsibility Mm. to do that. We're independent." Well, the statistics did warrant it because inflation was still, you know, was Mm. was quite strong and so on. So they did it then, and then, as you say, they kept doing it because they were trying to deal with these inflationary pressures. Then, whack, Mm. along comes the global financial crisis, and maybe they did um, wait too long to, you know, change gear and change direction.
1: Mm. So. Taking everything in that you're, you're looking at right now, what's your best guess of what's going to happen to the Australian economy for the rest of this year?
3: Uh, look, I think the government itself has accepted the argument that the task is to keep as many businesses connected to the economy as possible, and as many workers connected to their businesses. The relevance of this is there's a lot of what I might call social capital in terms of the relationships uh, of businesses with their suppliers and with you know their customers and of workers to their businesses that employ them. Once all those links are broken, you really are destroying a lot of value. You're destroying assets that have built up over a long period of time. And with, in particular, this third set of measures with the wage subsidy, it's very much directed to maintaining those links mm-hmm. as well as possible. Mm-hmm. Having said that, you know, we've got large parts of the economy that are just closed down. I haven't done any numerical um, calculations, but, you know, there seems no doubt that we'll be in recession uh, during, you know, the course of this year. The question then, Uh, If um, your listeners could imagine a V or an L or a U, Mm. the ideal in these terrible circumstances is a V. So you go down and then you bounce straight back up. Um, I don't think that's likely. I think that because the virus, as you said, there's no vaccine at this stage, Um, Things will have to remain closed for longer. Uh, International travel and international trade will be hampered and so on. So it's going to look like an L. So you go down and then you stay at the bottom for a while. You want then that to be a U as quickly as possible, not an L indefinitely. And so I think the task between a V and an L and a U is to try to get a U going because a V, I think, is off the table.
1: Yeah. So if we get a a short time in that L formation and turn into a U, say by yep. end of June, early July. Um, would, the, would the possibility be, um, Craig, that there, there would still be a lot of stimulation in the pipeline that could make the December quarter, you know, okay, and maybe 2021 stronger than, than you would expect?
3: Well, that, that would be a hope. Uh, I just can't predict it because we don't know. I can't predict the virus yes, you know, and exactly. how that's going to behave. Um, but that would be the hope. It's a strange thing. Um, out of these things, yes, there is a real bounce back. Um, but when? And the bounce back is because you've got all this excess capacity, all these people who are ready and raring to go to get back to work. um, You've got businesses that are busting to open their doors, but the business itself, you know, the the cafe, the restaurant, they've sort of maintained it. um, It's all spick and span and ready to go and get the customers back in. So when you get a bounce, it it can be quite a big bounce. um, But the trick is to make sure, as you say, that that LB, turns up as quickly as possible and we just can't predict that.
1: Mm. One last thing before I go, I've been doing a few speeches lately before the coronavirus and I was making the point that, you know, um, we economists are always trying to understand structural change in the economy and the big structural change that's really rendered a lot of economic statistics unreliable has been all this digital disruption. Um, Mm. But but i tell you what, I was never expecting a pandemic to, to result in a structural change of the economy that I could never, ever have expected.
3: Well, that's right. I mean, just to um, illustrate that point, there might be a lot more people working from home. A yes. lot. A lot of people know now what Zoom is and, <laughs> and all of these things, you know. Yeah. We might have less less need for big city office space. Um, mm. You know, their the bosses might say, hey, this actually worked quite well. Yeah. And, you know, a lot less uh, need to travel, uh, all that sort of thing. I mean, I've, in ordinary times, uh, quite commonly travel, yeah. not internationally so much, but Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra, Canberra, Sydney, Melbourne, mm. Well, you know, I'm doing all that online now. And... I'm not saying there's no need to travel, but yeah. I reckon um, employers and their workers will say, gee, do we actually have to you know, jump on in cabs and Ubers and get on uh, go to airports and wait for three-quarters of an hour and then do the same thing at the other end, yeah. um, flying? You know? Or maybe we can meet each other, get to know each other a bit. And work online. So that's just one example. Yeah. As you know, the sorts of changes that you're talking about. The final one that I'm all actually worried about is whether there's a real resort to nationalism mm. over um, regionalism and multilateralism. That is, will we turn in? I think in Australia we won't, uh, because neither political party has a strong in- instinct to protectionism. I think the US will continue to do so and uh, other countries will probably say we need to be more self-sufficient on a whole lot of things so that actually you know stifles um, the growth in prosperity and that's going to be one of the big challenges coming out the other end of this.
1: Yeah very good point. Craig Emerson thanks for joining us on the program.
3: Uh, Okay thanks very much Peter.
1: And that was Craig Emerson um, and I think he's been very well balanced. Now Paul you missed out on that interview but uh, you're back in the studio it's time for a word from our sponsor.
2: And that sponsor, of course, is the Switzer Report, Peter, Mm -hmm. um, which, of course, is uh, a publication we send out three times a week, Mondays, Thursdays and and, um, Saturdays, designed for people who want to uh, manage their own money. And make a lot of, uh, and money, a lot of money. And make a lot of money. And so we work on providing the assistance and support in terms of the strategies, the stocks, the asset allocation. We have a great team of uh, of, of writers, people like Tony Featherston, I reckon, probably. Writers least,
1: slash investors. Yeah, probably the, the best
2: in the business, I would rate Tony, mm-hmm. uh, James Dunn, uh, Charlie Aitken, yours truly, Peter Switzer, and mm-hmm. of course yours truly, Peter Paul Ricard. I'd be used truly,
1: rather. Yeah, I, I, think, I say yours truly. Yeah. I you would say you Oh no, that's, that's yeah. R- Rudy <laughs> Philipp van Dyke. I mean, we
2: have some of the best. Uh, yeah. And what we're trying to do, we, we know that a lot of people want to manage their own money, right? And yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the question we all have is sometimes you just need a little bit of support and ideas. We money try to, mentoring. Yeah, it's a bit, It is a bit of money mentoring, yeah. and that's the Switzer report. Um, our uh, our number one publication for our, our best clients. and um, How do yeah, they get to it? How they do get, it?
1: they go to? Switzerreport.com.au. Gee, how hard was that? That wasn't yes, too hard for that. you,
2: but we had to look uh, somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and um, you can take a free trial. You can sign up uh, right away, whatever you, you like. You get a trial mm-hmm. for a month. But if you do do a trial, we're doing a webinar for our clients on Friday. Yep. Uh, so at 12.30 Eastern Standard Time. So if you uh, take a trial, you'll be able to be eligible for that webinar.
1: And lots of those and, clients are and, looking for buying opportunities. And they're going to
2: put us under pressure with a lot of questions about stocks. And um, mm. I think, you know, the, we've, we've talked about, Peter, what stocks are going to dec- do well in the recovery. I think that's… And um, which ones won't.
1: And which ones won't, which I'm also interested in as well. Okay. So swissreport.com.au. AU. That was a very long ad. It was, but it's a pretty valuable ad. Well, we're talking to uh, one of the legends of Australian cricket, a guy by the name of Jim Maxwell, who is the voice of ABC cricket and has been for, I guess, at least three decades. I I guess you'll correct me on that that score. But, Jim, welcome to the Switzer program.
0: Nice to be on your show, Peter. And uh, I'm a great supporter of what you're about and uh, quite a few other of uh, those around the place who know how to pick the market if we can know how to pick it at the moment.
1: (laughs) Now, of course, uh, I've got Paul Rickard here as well, and Paul's a a great fan of the great Jim Maxwell as well. I sure am, Jim, so great to have you on the show. So, mate, let's just kick off with a couple of little sort of positioning questions because there might be the odd young person out there who's never heard of Jim Maxwell, which I don't think Mm. is possible. But maybe the, the hmm. dominance of Channel 9 cricket might have meant they haven't the, had the great uh, joy of listening to you on the ABC. When did you start commenta- commentating for the ABC? Uh, I hate to tell you
0: this. It was 1973 I started on the ABC, and I was lucky enough as a trainee to be on air doing cricket within six months of um, arriving. Down there in, in William Street, and one of the, the many offices that the ABC had spread all over the city and the uh, Tarman in those days. So mm. I got on here uh, because of a, um, a barrier trial I'd done on, on, on the cricket sitting in the back of the Noble Stand. And so I was lucky enough to get on the air very quickly, and uh, it just went from there.
1: Yeah, I, I remember it was the days when Alan Mcgilvray, of course, was the voice of mm. cricket, and you were the apprentice. Indeed. And I always remember with great uh, joy hearing you being teased by Clive Robertson whenever you came on to do a sporting <laughs> report. And I always felt so sorry for you, but it was great radio. <laughs> um, he,
0: he was he was a shocker, old Clive. He had a great sense of humor, and the person he really used to take the mickey out of was Dot Strong who uh, now has a terrace named after in the ABC. She was a tea lady. <laughs> and uh, she'd come in with, come in with a traymobile full of goodies. At a certain time into his studio, and he'd abuse her, and and then uh, to make sure that she didn't um, abuse him back on air, he left the mic open. But anyway, it was all, it was all good fun and repartee, and uh, we, we enjoyed. Clive it was uh, very much yeah, yeah, very quick wits, but it's what, what you want on the radio. Yeah.
2: Now, Jim, we do want to get to you to uh, investing because we know you're a very uh, keen and successful investor. But mm. just a couple of more cricket questions first. Mm. Just uh, the other day marked uh, the two-year anniversary for Steve Smith, uh, his band Mm -hmm. from the leadership team. So here's the $64 question. Uh, Do you think the selectors will ever call him back to lead the Australian cricket team again?
0: I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I'm not too sure which other direction they can go after Tim Payne has done his time, and that might be another year or two. Um, But yes, I mean, he's clearly... Uh, of the most experienced player in, in the side. And, and I'm not going to go to Dave Warner because he's got a lifetime ban. And I don't think Pat Cummins, who'd be the other likely one of this group, uh, really wants it. So uh, they're, they're in a, 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 a bit of a, a conundrum there as to which way they go. But uh, the next long-term captain for Australia may not even be in the team. But you would think if there's any move, it has to be to Smith.
2: Mm. And, and would, would, would you support that?
0: I would support it, yes. Uh, I, I think uh, as, as foolish and as naive as he was through that incident, he was pretty harshly dealt with um, when you consider what the penalty would have been if it had just been the ICC giving it. And uh, Australian cricket went into a bit of a meltdown over that, uh, uh, over which most of it was of their own doing from the way that they were running the show. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's a bit like look, looking back on those shares you would have bought a couple of years ago. It's history. Let's move on. Uh, Smith is clearly um, our number one player. Has the respect of everybody, I think, and I'm, I'm sure he's he's won back even uh, the support of some English people who were giving him some abuse a year ago. Mm. So uh, I. I I think he's regained respect, and, and that's important.
2: And and, and Manus Labershane he's not. Uh, he's, does he display leadership uh, characteristics?
0: He's a bit quirky for mine, but um, yes, perhaps uh, everyone has the chance to develop and mature. And uh, he'd be in the wings at the moment, yes.
1: Well, one person who has developed and mature is one Jim Maxwell. Uh, Jim, uh, one question I do have to ask before we get into the investing side of. Jane Maxwell is. This is the period when you go into hibernation, and the economy's been <laughs> asked to go into hibernation. How are you coping with the? You know, like a lot of us can't cope with the cabin fever of being locked down. But this is your off season, isn't it? It was the old days you used to do rugby, but in, in lately it's just been cricket, and you have a, a bit of an off season. Are you coping with the off season? Okay.
0: Um, I've learned to cope with things because I've um, varied my interests. I want to be diverse. So you need to understand that apart from starting the form of the stock market, I studied the form of the horses <laughs> to the point where I actually I, I own a couple right. and that keeps me really interested at the moment because it's the only sport in town, the sport of kings. Mm. Uh, I don't know how long that's going to last, um, but I mean, I, I can chew my way through an afternoon if I have to, uh, watching Sky and, and having a bed or two um, and, and hoping that um, perhaps one of mine will get up and win some prize money because that's the one great thing about Australian racing, if I can give it a plug, is the prize money. Uh, It is so far ahead of any other country in the world uh, that it's attractive if you've got a horse with four legs that can actually run uh, (laughs) to be in the game.
2: That's a big advantage, isn't it?
0: Oh, well, it's always a big if. 80% of horses that hit the ground uh, don't
1: race.
0: 80% of the horses that race don't win. So the numbers are much better in the stock market than they are in a horse race.
1: I've got to say, my father uh, once said to me, who I think as a young man – was um, unwisely recruited to work for an SP bookmaker, they called them those days. Mm -hmm. And my father always said to me, when I started to show a little bit of interest in horses, he said, you've got more chance of making money walking behind a horse with a sugar bag and a shovel than you have in actually winning money on horses. So, mate, let's get to you and your interest in the stock market. When did that start?
0: Well, it probably started seriously in terms of putting cash I- into it because I didn't have any much in those days when I just left school. I actually um, I, I, I won uh, a, a second place in a sweep um for the Melbourne Cup in 1969, a horse called Allsop, which ran second to Rain Lover, a famous Melbourne Cup winner. And um, I got $300 out of that. Now, that was a lot of money in 1969. Mm-hmm. And uh, the market was on the boil, as you might recall, if you can go back that far. It's 51 years ago. Um, and then there was all sorts of stuff coming around out of Poseidon, a thing called Tasman X. Anyway, I, I popped this money into a thing called Platina Options. Um, and I more than doubled my money, and I was hooked, you see? Yeah. So that's, that's how it started.
1: And, okay, so you, you were obviously a speculative growth-oriented investor in those days going into options. But uh, how, have you, how has your investment uh, approach changed over the years?
0: I've had to make my approach to investing, and I think this is very important, match my personality. Um, and that doesn't mean I'm always disciplined and it doesn't mean I'm always looking at the long term and it doesn't always mean I'm going to make good decisions. But I'm going to make decisions. I've realised that uh, over a period, you've you've got to make decisions—good calls, bad calls—and and, and it's a bit of going with your instincts. I mean, you know, I've I've done the technical analysis stuff. on Colin Nicholson. I've got Mister Elder's book up there on trading for a living, and Benjam, Benjamin Graham. Um, I've got a lot of that stuff that I've I've been through. Um, but more and more, you're looking at uh, some help from software, I suppose. And um, the the latest one for me is the one um, ASR, Australian Stock Reports, Halo, which I've been toying around with. Um, But most of my decisions have been on a combination of uh, what I call information, um, and using that um, word as as loosely as I can, uh, and um, a fundamental analysis of the market, trying to pick things that are oversold, Takeover situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that I, I remember fondly was an engineering company called Ludoisi. Uh, and I held them for years and years. And I thought this company is going to be taken over one day. Well, I, I was right in the end, but it took a long time. And, and that can happen when you're in the market. Um, then on the other side, I can tell you, you know, bad ones like Thorn, which I eventually sold out of at about 50 cents. It's now almost zero. So um, it
1: was a, it was know, a good company, ju- a yeah, It was, a, it was company. a very good company. Oh, Radio
0: Rentals, yes, mm. very good company. And I was in and out of it at various stages and made some money from it. But in in the end, I chased it down a bit because I thought it would recover, and uh, you know, sold out. But um, uh, yeah, We're making judgment calls. But the thing is, apart from obviously being patient with good blue chip stocks, um, you got to make decisions sometimes and forge. There's another company I remember I'm glad I got out of when I did. Um, so, yeah, I, I can think back over so many going back um, to the old mining days of Western Mining, North Broken Hill. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot on lot on the list, but I, I'd like to think I've had more winners than
2: losers. And do you, uh, Jim, do you sort of have a core sort of portfolio and then a – A bit on the side of satellite, where you you dabble in, or you sort of you look at every sort of stock and uh, make sure it's sort of the right one in your portfolio. How how do you approach
1: that?
0: It's it's a bit complex because um, I have uh, my own private super. I have it in my own name. I have a, a company name, and then I have another large portfolio that I play around with. So, so I, we so we'll should get
2: to know you better, Jim,
0: is that right? <laughs> well, I, 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 I tend to, for the big, big thing, I, I tend to you know, leave it in, in, in what I call quality stocks. And, and, of course, there'll be banking stocks in there. And there's West Farmers, there's APA. Uh, there are a few good in, income-producing mm-hmm. things in, in there as well. Um and, uh, you know, I've been in and out of retailers. There's a lot of coals in there at the moment. But I have to say yesterday, I thought this is, a, this is too good to be true because I can't see it lasting in the short term. So I sold a portion of my Rio's and Woolworths, mm-hmm. um, and just want to float that money on the side until something comes up. I'm, I'm, I'm looking very, very, keenly at uh, uh, M-I-N, Mineral Resources, if it gets back to $12 I'll go in there I think yeah. that's so yeah, that, that's my sort of quick summary of where things are at at the moment without taking them into every stock. Yeah. <laughs>
1: now, now Jim I, I can, I'm going to make a bit of a guess here that when you go to the, the races for a big day, you know like the Doncaster or whatever I reckon you have a go at just about every race to try and crack a winner is that a fair call?
0: Oh, no doubt about it. Though. I mean, <laughs> I it's boring sorry. if you don't. Well,
1: no, it's no, boring no, if you don't. No, but when I go to the races, because I'm, I'm far more cautious than you, I, I tend to, to back the favourite for the place in sort of like all-up bets and, and hoping that they will ultimately – You are boring. Bro. I'm boring. <laughs> but, I, but I just knew – and I often say to people, to try and pick uh, companies is and, and – and, hope that they win and all that sort of stuff. It's like going to the races and having a bet on every race, looking for a winner. And, Jim, but do, do you have a call where you do play safe and the and the other part of it is where you really have your day at the races?
0: Oh, well, most of it's fairly safe because it's been locked up for, you know, a number of years, going going way back. So and there's a fair bit of capital gain, even though the market's retraced a fair bit. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's any number of bank shares involved in in that exercise and BHP. I mean, all all the heavyweights. And and CSL is is the one stock that I'm annoyed about because I started buying it between 50 and 100, and then I started selling some when they got over 200. And now look at it, number 300. (laughs) um, When do I start buying some more? When they retraced under 300 or buy them now? I don't know. But, I mean, that is the most extraordinary story of the market, I think, of all time, CSL. So who would have ever thought the Commonwealth Serum Laboratories, when they listed in the nineties, what was it, two fifty a share? Yeah, something
3: like
2: that. It's it's an effective um, uh, it's effective seventy seven cents because it had a had a, had a share split. So uh, seventy seven well, cents What's the very up to uh, up to three forty, three fifty, back to about two seventy. Now back over three hundred. So there was your chance, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> doubt. Yes.
1: But, but, Jim, the thing I find fascinating, and other people might be too, you're actually revealing to, to normal people what you're really like because as a cricket commentator, I've always found you to be unbelievably fair how you remain objective while being a, a passionate Australian <laughs> that you are, but, which, is of course, you, you need with a good quality uh, cricket commentator. But away from cricket, you're as stupid and <laughs> as mad as the rest of us. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, you've got to have some madness in life. I mean, <laughs> as someone said, we all go mad in the end, anyway. So, um, <laughs> but it, just hopefully out of it, I mean, you know, I'm not not penniless by the by the end of the exercise, and uh, it, it's going all right at the moment. But um, yes, look, and the other thing is about because I have control of all my trades, right? I, I, I'm I'm um, one of those online online traders, so. Mm. Um, and I get a lot of joy, a bit, lo- a bit like, but more so than backing a 50-to-1 or 20-to-1 winner at the races, of making um, good decisions. Mm. So there's a fair bit of ego involved in all this. And as I said uh, initially, you, you've got to um, uh, sort of match your method to your temperament, your personality. Um, yes, you can have all sorts of rules about this and that and being disciplined and take a, a, a lot of advice from the sages like Warren Buffett, um, but uh, you've got to do your thing and be happy with it um, or unhappy with it sometimes. Uh, but you, you, you've got to sort of extend your personality um, in, into what, what you're doing, I think. And, um, you know, it, it, it's every man for himself. You, you, you come up with these judgments. And uh, and that's, that's what I've realized after a long period of time. That um, I can't force myself to do something that is against the grain, mm-hmm. against the way I behave, mm-hmm. and so if some people interpret it as being a bit mad, uh, well, that's what it is.
1: <laughs> well, I tell you what, I, I do uh, appreciate the fact that you're an investor in the Switzerland dividend growth fund, showing that at times you are a safe investor.
0: I am a safe investor and I keep churning the dividend back into it (laughs) as I do with Magellan. I mean, that was the other other one I I bought into the flagship fund and I did sell off a quarter of them at $70. so I was pleased about that. Um, And then now I'm gradually pumping it back into M-I-C-H and all the other ones that they've got. I mean, he's a great stock picker, uh, that Hamish Douglas and his boys done very, very very well. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I follow, a bit, I follow a bit of everyone, but I'm, I'm certainly following the companies you've invested in and your own fund, which is going well.
1: Okay, mate. Well, whenever you do retire, we'll give you a job here as Chief Investment Officer.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Jim. <laughs> it's Thanks, lovely him. to talk with you, and I hope everyone's enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thanks very much. That's Jim Maxwell, the legend of ABC Cricket. Once again, it's time for a word from our sponsor. And what are we going to sponsor this time, Paul?
2: Look, blank face over here, Peter, but
1: I think it's got to be
2: join the Rich Club.
1: Why not? Why, why wouldn't why you want to join idea? the Rich Club? And how much do you pay to join the Rich Club?
2: Only $24.95. There could be some postage and handling on top of that, I think. Yeah, but, probably uh, would but, be. but that goes to Australia Post, not us. It's the cheapest way of becoming
1: rich, I reckon. 24 95 yeah, We're giving away, aren't we? Is it tax deductible?
2: Well, it could well be. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. If, if you're an investor uh, and uh, you, you, you've got an investment portfolio, it, sh- it should be tax deductible. If you're a super fund and you're in the accumulation mode, it could Great be tax idea. deductible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for some case, some… some it's.
1: And it's, I believe the superannuation chapter was so well written.
2: Well, look, it does have an author called A.P. Switzer, but um, there were a number of chapters that were authored by somebody else. Uh, including the superannuation chapter. Could have, fact, been P, maybe,
1: could have been P. Rickard.
2: Could have been P. Rickard. You could see it somewhere in the very fine printed about page.
1: Yeah. I don't know. You winced about that last <laughs> I week. Am, I, I did, about it again. I didn't give you yeah. enough. I'm whinging about it again. Yeah, okay, huh? next book, <laughs> even though you won't be asked to do anything, I will give you a bit of praise. So that's uh, Swi- Switzerland. Where do you get it from? Yeah, I think it's called Switzerstore, not, not plural. Switzer yeah. We, uh, we, and we, ma- com, and we that made that a we. mistake about not. I don't know why. No, because we've only got one store. If we had two stores, it'd be Switzer Stores? What is this here? Nutcase or something? Uh, anyway, switzerstore.com.au, 24.95. Join the Risk Club. We'll be back in a moment with our next guest, my sister, Kay Switzer. Well, this is a little bit unusual in the sense that I'm actually interviewing my sister, Kay Switzer, who lives in LA. And Paul Rickard and myself uh, are interested in how she's personally coping with the lockdown, but we're also interested in how the city's doing as a bit of a barometer of how America's generally going and coping with uh, the battle against the coronavirus and also the battle for the US economy. and. Um the, the economy of California is one of the biggest economies in the world. Even though it's a, it's a state, it's a huge economy. So Kay, welcome to the program.
4: Hi Peter, lovely to be here. You know, I must admit when you told me you wanted me on your podcast, I thought it was going to be an April Fool's joke. You know, <laughs> today is And right. I am always behind the camera. You're the one in front of the
1: camera. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But it's not, it's not April 1st over there now, is it? it's, it's April 1st here. Correct. Yeah, so because it's, yeah. it's, it's your birthday on April 1 and it's been a tough birthday to live with for most of your life.
4: Yeah, come on. Remember, you were always jealous because <laughs> your birthday was days before mine and you didn't get anywhere near the number of birthday cards that I got.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and Kay, this isn't any substitute call for Peter calling on the proper 1st <laughs> <first> of <laughs> April your time to wish you a happy birthday. So yeah. um, I think it would
1: be a tax deductible <laughs> call. <laughs>
2: <laughs> He's thinking about everything, everything financial. But let, maybe we should start by uh, talking about uh, what it's like uh, to be in a city uh, subject to a lockdown.
4: Well, I can tell you, when we changed the clocks earlier this month, I don't think anybody expected we'd be going from standard time to the twilight zone, mm. because and that's how it feels. It really feels like we're in the twilight zone, with you know forty million Californians sequestered to their homes in lockdown with only the essentials, you know, no friends or visitors, no family can visit, no, um, only, uh, you know, maintaining six feet distance from others, no visiting hospitals or nursing homes. Um, you know, it's, it's weird. It's, hey. It is very, very strange, but, yeah. uh, I'm two weeks into it right now. And, um, you know, it's, It's what it has to be, you know. Today I heard that 2,400 people were infected in Los Angeles and there are 44 deaths, Mm. you know. So I'm very happy to be in lockdown, I must admit. So,
1: so, uh, so Kay, one thing I've learned when I've gone over there is that if there's one thing you guys do nearly every day is go to the shopping centre, shopping mall, are you guys sort of having cabin fever as a consequence of not being able to get out and interact with people. And is it true when you go out, you have to wear gloves and masks?
4: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So last week, the first week we were in lockdown, um, I went to the supermarket like every other day or, or the pharmacy. And I'm, I'm wearing a mask, latex gloves, um, practicing social distancing. Uh, but this week I've decided I'm not even going to go out because I heard there's going to be a surge of infections. And I heard that from um, a doctor, infectious disease doctor, that they're expecting a surge of infections this week. So I'm not leaving the house. Mm. And, and as you know, my partner had a uh, open heart surgery last year Mm. and suffered from many infections after that. So she's totally locked in. She cannot, nobody can come to the house Mm. for that reason, because she's very vulnerable and, uh, um, you know, we have friends that will call up and say, "Do you need groceries?" and they'll go and pick them up for us and leave them at the front door. Is, um, is there
1: hostility when you do actually meet people? Because everyone's afraid that one person might be the potential infector?
4: Yeah, it is. It is that way. I'm, I must admit, even when I, I I went to the supermarket yesterday to stock up for the for the next couple of weeks, and uh, you know you you're walking around, you've got your mask on, everybody's got masks and gloves on. And it's kind of, it's weird. If somebody gets a bit close to you, you kind of give them a dirty look, They can't see you because you've got a mask on, giving (laughs) them a dirty look. But, and then, you know, there was one couple that were always around. Every aisle I was on, they didn't have, they actually, they didn't have masks on. I'm thinking, I don't want to get close to them, but they always seem to be near me. But it was all just a mental thing that I was going through, I think. There was nothing wrong with these people. But, It is weird. However, on the other hand, when when I walk the dogs, I do that just to get out of the house, um, walk the dogs, and there are other people walking dogs, and when they see you coming, they'll cross over to the other side of the street or walk down the middle of the street. There are no cars. Very few people, you know, cars driving around, so it's safe to walk on the road. Mm. It's really weird for Los Angeles. And Mm. this morning, uh, I had to go out, had to carry it for a doctor's visit, and it's so weird driving down Melrose Avenue, all the shops and all the coffee shops, all the business closed.
1: Sounds like sounds like Canberra on a normal day. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what's,
4: anyway, what's it's the, creepy. What's,
2: it is creepy. I mean, it sounds like it's a little worse than it is in, uh, in, in Sydney and Melbourne, but... Uh, so, what's the the outlook? The, I know Donald Trump says uh, perhaps another month, but what's the expectation in in California uh, in terms of how long does the lockdown continue for?
4: Yeah, no, it, 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 it's at the moment it, it's it's in force until April nineteenth. But I just this morning I heard the mayor on on television saying that uh, Los Angeles residents don't have to pay rent for twelve months. <laughs> so, so that so looks really? like a good sign oh. that. Uh, that we're going to be locked down for quite some time. Um, you know, however, on the lighter side of things, um, people are having um, virtual happy hours on the internet. You know, I was on a, a, a virtual cocktail party the other day and Aaron Brockovich was there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so people are Skyping their drinking sessions, but they're doing it on their own. But with you know, sort of a, a virtual crowd.
4: Yeah, yeah. They, you know, they'll post a photo holding a, a cocktail glass, and then send it all their and all their friends log on, and everybody then chats, and it's kind of fun. You know, I saw I saw this uh, you know, on a post on Facebook the other day, and it said, first time in history, we can save the human race by laying in front of the TV and doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Let's not screw that up." I thought that was really cute. But yeah. that's basically what it's people flying around watching TV. And also, the other thing is the dogs. The dogs are going through a lot of stress because suddenly everybody in the house is home. The dogs are getting their wish. Everybody's home. But now everybody wants to walk the dogs. So the dogs are being walked over and over again. And that's uh, and wearing poor dogs out, I think.
1: Yeah, dog anxiety. But, now, Kate, what is the attitude towards Donald Trump? In California, is he being held responsible, or is he being seen as a good leader during these challenging times?
4: No, no, he's he's not good. I mean, you know, from the beginning, he was a denier. He denied the virus, and then and that and then started downplaying the crisis as it was getting worse. Um, you know, it didn't help. In 2018, they dismantled the team of in charge of pandemics, firing all the key people. And, and even though Trump seems to be stepping up to the plate now, a lot of damage has been done with his failure to not get the testing um, going up front. You know, I really just think Obama would have handled it so much differently and uh, would have made us feel safer.
1: Okay, now one thing I should throw in um, is that uh, part of the reason why you're in America is that you started, started a little television show called Judge Judy, um, and, um, but in recent times um, you've uh, decided to sue Judge Judy. Has this coronavirus slowed up the whole legal process for you?
4: Yes, it has, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Yeah, I have a, actually have a trial date scheduled for... March 15th of next year. But the, um, the courts are all closed, so there's going to be a backup. So I think that's probably, it's probably going to be continued. But, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, I found, I found Judge Judy in 1995. Got her on the air in 1996. And... Uh, oh, well, is Interesting. I should have asked my little brother for some advice at that time when I was signing contracts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, you ignored me. I'm the
4: poster, <laughs> I'm the poster child for, for, for not doing the right thing in business. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, P- Peter got those, uh, those qualifications from my, so pastor, had, my little girl.
2: Has your little brother always had a head for business and money, Kay?
4: Um. I think he probably did. Uh, I think, to be honest, like I, was, uh, I was wondering about that earlier. Um, I, I'm, I just can't think of uh, a time when he was a little boy, if he started any businesses or anything. I'd love to be able to tell a story like that. Yeah, Peter, Peter sold cookies or something that I can't remember. <laughs> but
2: he, he didn't come and try to control your pocket money or put a budget around you or... Uh... You just you just brushed him aside as the as the older sister, did you? Or was yeah, that, that's pretty yeah. well
1: as Paul. I think you, you've nailed that. But but certainly, I did go to the markets more than you did with Dad because Dad Dad had a business supplying cafes and restaurants with fruit and vegetables. And Kay liked to sleep in. I liked to go to the markets early in the morning. So at least I got you know some business experience from getting up early and and having um, the opportunity to work with Dad at the markets.
4: That, that's a good point. Good point. Peter. So, so Kay, you
1: don't, um,
2: in the you, you're not taking any credit here for um, perhaps of being a big influence on Peter and his money skills. Is that I'm, I'm getting that sense, or no? I'm, no,
4: I'm
1: not going to do that. No. <laughs> you could do it, but well, <laughs> I tell you what, Kay, we, we are running out of time. But one day we will actually talk about the, the whole Judge Judy experience as well, because it's an interesting story in its own right. Maybe we should talk about that when you're getting close to your, your, your next court date, but that could be a long way off because of the coronavirus.
4: Well, that's true. But I would like to talk about that because, you know, very few Australians know that it was an Australian who found Judge Judy mm. and got her on the air.
1: Yep. Well, and, uh, well, we'll, do, we'll do a special on that in a few weeks' time.
4: Okay, okay, well, I'll be here. I'm not going anywhere.
2: <laughs> and just, just for the record, Kay, well, what is Judge Judy doing now and why are you suing him? Maybe, maybe we could just get that out of yeah, the way. Maybe first. that's a good question. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Why are you suing Judge Judy? Judy
4: is, Judge Judy is sequestered in her home in Florida right, right. now.
1: Right.
4: Mm. Not in, in, uh, it's not being recorded. Um, and so I'm not getting my royalty payments. Um, and uh, I'm suing CBS as well. <laughs> right, <okay. laughs> That's
2: part of it. well, maybe it's, but it's maybe... all to do
4: with it's all to do reruns. Right. And uh, yeah, so it's it's a very very interesting
1: case. Yeah, I, I think uh, it, it, I, it deserves a podcast in its own right. And as it's called the Switzer Show, we can arrange that. Oh,
4: okay. okay. <laughs>
1: Okay, so okay. thanks for joining us, Kay, and we'll catch up to you in the not-too-distant future. And, and Kay, on behalf of Peter, we'll wish you a happy birthday
2: for your 1st of April. Yeah, and stay safe. <laughs> and stay safe, yeah.
4: Thank you, Paul. He hasn't even wished you birthday yet. No, he's, he's, I'm he's, saving for
1: tomorrow. <laughs> he can be quite remiss at times. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, thanks for joining us. Well, that's the show, Paul. Um, a variety of guests and very insightful, I think. Well, we tied up
2: uh, cricket. We tied up uh, COVID-19. We yeah. added, added uh, Judge Judge Judy. Yeah, who would have thought and, that? And, uh, and the stimulus package. Um, so it's, I think we've done pretty well. I won't say we covered went around the globe, but we, had, we certainly mm. put some different parts into the mix. Yeah, and
1: we? our producer, John Bragg, wants us to do a major expose on Judge Judy, which we might put in the pipeline. button to <laughs>